Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. We want to look at His Word that He has inspired and given to us for our good. We want to look today in the prophet Hosea. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. Hosea is found right after Daniel, and we'll be looking in chapter 10 here in just a moment. There's an old traditional proverb that says, if you live in a graveyard too long, you stop crying when someone dies. Now, you hear that and first you're like, well, that's sick. That sounds creepy, that's kind of morbid, but what it's trying to convey is that if you are constantly bombarded with something, if you're continuously exposed to something, you become desensitized to it. I mean, literally, for the proverb, that means if you're constantly exposed to death, then eventually you become desensitized to it, and it doesn't bother you anymore. It doesn't move you anymore. Now, to go along those same lines, a different sort of illustration, maybe coming from a different angle, you know, I think about when you watch TV and, you know, there's this trope that they give on TV shows and movies that if you expose yourself to tiny amounts of poison, then over time you build up an immunity to it, so then when someone tries to poison you, then it has no effect on you because you have built up that immunity. Now that's on TV, I don't know if that's true or not. Me personally, I'm not gonna try and find out. I would probably would suggest you don't either. But what these sayings and illustrations show and what they're describing for us is that if we allow ourselves to be constantly and consistently exposed to that which is bad for us, we become so immune and desensitized to the bad that it doesn't even phase us anymore. It may or may not be true for death or poison, but I can guarantee you it's true for sin. Now the biblical description of becoming desensitized to sin is having a hard heart. Having a hard heart. When the heart is just constantly and consistently exposed to sin without any sort of spiritual guard around the heart, I mean, just the heart becomes more and more desensitized to sin to a point where sin doesn't even phase you and you become blinded to the sin that is expressed in your life, the sin that you do, the sin that you speak, the sin of attitude. You, you're, it doesn't even phase you when you sin anymore. You become desensitized. You become calloused. You know, imagine a blue-collar worker. You know, they, they, they work with their hands. When they first start the job, their hands are soft and the, the work hurts. But over time, they build up calluses on their hands. They don't even feel it anymore. They no longer ache at that exposure to the work. So it is with the heart and sin. The heart becomes hardened and callous to sin with just constant, unguarded exposure to it. And it, it, it no longer moves us. It no lo we no longer care. And then we have no problem joining in on this, some of the sins. You know, we think that, okay, well, if I fall on the correct side of the hot-button topics of culture, that I'm okay. But what about your personal 
sin. You no longer become sensitive to it. And that's why it's important for us today to know we have a hard heart and, and to know it's us because, you know, we, we think, yeah, that's unbelievers. They have a hard heart. They don't listen to the gospel and yada, yada, yada. The thing is, a hard heart happens in God's people as well. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, it constantly talks about the hard heart that the disciples have. O ye of little faith, O you with a hard heart. And I believe that's where much of the church is today. Even me, I'm not, I'm not excluding myself in this. And so the, the Israelites, they face the same kind of, of situation. You know, they face the kind of the same thing. And God spoke to them through the prophets to warn them that their hearts needed to be changed. And so Hosea was one of those. God used Hosea to warn his people. And, and, and the prophet, I mean, he, his whole life was like a, just a living metaphor for various things. But, you know, he used a lot of different pictures. He used a lot of different metaphors in his, in his book. And a lot of it referred to having a hard heart. I want to consider just one of those pictures. I want to consider what we need to do to change the hardness of our hearts. We all, we all have it, okay? Let's not sit there in our pews or stand here behind a pulpit and think, yeah, that's somebody else. No, it's, it's all of us. What do we, I want us to see that we have a hard heart, and then I want us to do something about it, you know, to see that we're able to effectively do something so that, so that our hearts are softened and we're able to do the Lord's work unhindered. We're able to do the work of the kingdom unhindered. And I hope that's our desire because that's what we're called to. So I just want to read three verses out of Hosea chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these three verses. And God is saying through the prophet, Ephraim was a well-trained heifer who loved to thresh grain. I myself put a fine yoke on her neck. I will harness Ephraim. Let Judah plow. Let Jacob break up the unplowed ground for himself. Sow righteousness for yourself. Reap unfailing love. Break up the unplowed ground for yourselves. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers deliverance on you. But you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of deception. Because you have depended on your chariots, you have relied on your many warriors. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that we are truly are listening with open ears and open hearts for whatever it is you have for us today. Use your word in all our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the Jews obviously were a very agricultural society, so quite often God, through the prophets, would use agricultural uh, pictures and illustrations, you know, something that they're familiar with. And it uses a picture here. And it's a reference to their heart, though. It's a picture of what their heart is like, and so I want to take a, a look at that picture and apply it to us today. So first today, I want us to see the need to plow our hearts. There was a need to plow our hearts here. So God is using an agricultural picture where it hasn't rained in Israel for months on end. 
or maybe even years. You think about during the time of Elijah. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Can you imagine how hard that ground would have been? That ground being so hard, they wouldn't have been able to plant their crops. You, they, you couldn't just throw seed on that kind of ground and expect it to grow and bear fruit. The seed can't get into the ground to take root and then to grow. And God is saying to the Israelites, you are not producing any spiritual fruit because your hearts are as solid as a three and a half year drought in the land of Israel. Just imagine like if it hadn't rained in Alabama just for a few months, that Alabama red clay would be hard as a rock. It'd be harder than the cement in your driveway. It would be harder than the paved highways. That is hard. And God is saying, that is your heart. That's what he's saying to the people here. You, your hearts are hard. In, in verse 11, God says, you know, you, you are my chosen people. I have work for you to do. You know, he references Ephraim, which, who, who was the largest, probably the largest of the tribes in the northern kingdom, and then Judah, obviously, represents the southern kingdom. They were God's chosen people. They were to sow and reap righteousness and justice. And then, you know, through Hosea, he says, you would, you would see God's unfailing love. You would, you, would, you would see God's faithfulness when you do that. But instead of sowing that which is good, instead of sowing that which is God-pleasing, according to verse 13, they plowed wickedness and they reaped injustice, eating the fruit of deception. They were trusting in their own ways and they were doing their own thing. We don't need God, we got this. We're in control. Yeah, and they used that control to sin, to do evil, to do Wickedness. They became a very idolatrous people who followed the gods of the heathens, and then they allowed that worldview, the worldview from the pagans, the worldview of the pagan religions, they allowed that worldview to speak into their lifestyle. It informed their lifestyle. It informed the choices they made. It, it informed what they thought, what they said, how they acted, all that. Their sin hardened their heart to the things of God. Their sin hardened their heart toward the word of God. They were completely open to the sins of the pagans, and they were completely closed to the things of God. They had exposed themselves to the wickedness of the world, and they had desensitized themselves to that sin and said, hey, let's just join in with all the rest of the world and do what the rest of the world is doing. And just as God's chosen people, Israel, had allowed their hearts to become so hardened to the things of God due to their idolatry, due to their sin, the church in our day can boast the same exact thing. You cannot help, when you read this in Hosea, you cannot help but think of the parable that Jesus spoke because it's speaking about the same exact thing. I don't have it on the screen, but let me read to you from Matthew 13. I'll read the Matthew 13 version. Jesus told them many things in parable saying, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some feed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly because the soil was not deep, but then when the sun came, they were scorched, and because they didn't have sufficient root, they withered. 
Other seeds fell upon th- among the thorns and they grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred times as much, some 60 and some 30. The one who has ears better listen up. And then Jesus gives the explanation just a few verses later. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, the word of God, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself and does not endure when trouble or persecution comes. Because of the word, immediately, you know, he falls away. The seed sown among thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word so it produces nothing. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands he bears fruit yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So the seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart of the people. And when the seed finds good soil, it takes root and it grows and it produces fruit. But when the ground is too hard to receive the seed, it's either stolen by birds, the evil one plucks it away, it, does, it might grow a little bit, but then the, the sun scorches it. They don't like the lifestyle that comes with it. Or the thorn, it grows up with thorns and is choked out when the things of the world become more important. So Hosea is saying to Israel, your heart is hard to the word of God. It's it's caused you to become spiritually fruitless. Instead of love and righteousness growing, you're producing nothing but the weeds of wickedness and injustice. The word of God cannot get into your hearts because your heart is harder than Alabama red clay on a 100-degree day when it hasn't rained for months on end. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm going to take that, and I'm going I'm to use that as well. Your hearts are hard. Now, as much as the soil in Jesus' parable represents the hearts of unbelievers, Christians need to take stock of their own hearts. Because guess what? Your hearts, my heart, can become just as hard. We find in the church different people. There are people who come to the church service. They're lost, but they go through the motions of church and Christianity because, hey, we're in the South. That's what you do. Their hearts, though, are hard toward the Word of God. They have never accepted Christ. They've never really seen their need for Christ. Let me get my dose of religion. Let me get my dose of church. Sprinkle a little ethics and I'll be on my merry way. They think they're saved, but they're not because they really don't. They couldn't give two hoots about God, about Christ, about his word, about living for him, about his kingdom, nothing. But then there are Christians who are truly saved, but they haven't been in the word like they should. They haven't been praying like they should. They're out in the world. They're constantly filling themselves up with the things of the world. Or they're, they're bitter, they become so bitter and angry, they've closed themselves off to the God's word, you know, allowing God's word to come into their hearts. And their hearts are just as hard as unbelievers, so the word of God cannot penetrate, and they don't grow, and they don't mature, and they certainly don't bear any spiritual fruit. And we have to deal with both of those in the visible church. 
But God tells everyone the same thing. He speaks to the unbeliever and the believer alike. God says in verse 12 of the Hosea passage, break up the unplowed ground. Some versions will say break up the fallowed ground. Break up the unplowed ground for yourselves for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers deliverance on you. Break up your hard heart. Take the tools of God, so to speak, and plow your hard heart so that the soil of your heart is ready to accept and obey God's holy word. Break up your hard heart. Take a plow, go back and forth as many times as you need, you know, plow metaphorically speaking, obviously. Break it up as often as you need so it is soft and ready to receive the seed so that it's ready to grow, it's ready to bear fruit. Plow your heart to make it ready to receive the word of God so it grows and it bears fruit. And there's some here today listening to what I'm saying and thinking, you know what, Pastor, you're right. You tell America what they need to do. America's in sad shape. You, you go get them, Pastor. You tell them what you need to do. Or there's others that might be thinking, you know what, that person on the other side of the church, they really need to hear this. You go at them, Pastor. Tell them they need to plow their heart. Here's the thing. I'm talking about you. All of you. And I'm talking about me too. I'm talking about all of us. There are people who have played footsie with sin for years, and the Word of God can't do anything in their hearts because their heart is hard. There are people who are trapped in bitterness and anger because you felt hurt, you felt slighted, someone did something to you, and you refuse to forgive and you refuse to release it, so your heart is hard and the Word of God can bear no fruit in you. There are people who are worldly, they live for the world, and the world is what informs what they do and what they think and how they act and what they say. And the Word of God cannot get into you to mature you and grow you. And God says the same thing to all of you and to me today as he said to the Israelites all those thousands of years ago. Plow your hard heart. Plow it. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming other people. You worry about you. Let's face it, we're Baptists. We like to get in, into other people's business. We laugh, and at the same time, it's kind of a nervous laugh, like, <laughs> because we know it's true. Stop worrying about your neighbor. Stop worrying about so-and-so across the church on the other side of the church. Worry about you. Plow your hard heart. Yeah, but listen, preacher, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. They did this and they did that. It doesn't matter. Plow your hard heart. Yeah, but the thing that I do is, is harmless. Nobody gets hurt by what I do. Plow your hard heart. Yeah, but I mean, if I get too excited for Jesus, I'm going to lose I might get uncomfortable, and, and Lord knows we Baptists don't like to get uncomfortable. God might call me to do something that I don't really like. 
plow your hard heart. All of us. Because the church and God's kingdom will not move forward if we don't. Plow your hard hearts. That's great, Pastor. How? What do we need to do? Well, secondly today, it's just a two-point sermon today, let's talk about the means of plowing our hearts. Because plowing your heart is not a matter of just trying to come up with the right emotions and the right feelings. Let me see if I can get the right feelings about this. It has nothing to do with feelings. It is not a matter of trying to fake a spiritual experience. It's not a matter of going through religious emotions. It is not buckling down, trying harder to be moral or ethical. Hosea in verse 10 says to seek the Lord, but if we are to do that, we have to get rid of the barrier that is between us, or we have, we have to seek God, really, I guess is a better way to put it, in order to get rid of that barrier. Because we're not able to take that barrier down our, ourselves. It's so funny, we, we, our sin has created a barrier, and the only way to get through the barrier is to seek God for him to break down the barrier, and we're like, no, I, again, I got this. I, I can do this. But we can't. We have to listen to uh, Hosea's contemporary, Isaiah. He tells us in Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 4, look, the Lord's hand is not too weak to deliver you. His ear is not too deaf to hear you, but your sinful acts have alienated you from your God. Your sins have caused him to reject you, and he will not listen to your prayers. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with sin. Your lips speak lies, your tongue utters malicious words. No one is concerned about justice, no one sets forth his case. Truthfully, they depend on false words and tell lies. They conceive of oppression and they give birth to sin. Our sin is, you know, it, 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 almost a catch-22. Our sin has hardened our heart and then we don't seek God because we have a hard heart. But here's the thing, we have to seek God. He's the only one who's going to be able to plow that hard heart. God's the only one who's going to be able to soften that hard heart. We have to seek the Lord because he changes hearts. God said through Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I'll take away the hard heart. I'll give you a soft heart. And so we seek the Lord for a new heart first through salvation in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You will be made new because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. But then after you come to Christ, if you have not guarded your heart, sin will harden your heart toward the things of God. And so you need to confess and repent. Seek God and confess and repent. And through your confession and repentance, God will soften your hearts and make it fertile ground for the word of God to flourish within you. And then just watch what God does in your life. Confess and repent. The prophet Ezekiel told us in Ezekiel 18.31, throw away all your sins you have committed and fashion yourselves a new heart and new, a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? And so if we seek him through confession and repentance, meaning we agree with God that what we're doing is sin, we're not giving all these excuses, we're not blaming it on other people, yes, this is sin in my life. And then we work with God through his spirit to throw away that sin, 
We're given this promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive. He is faithful and just to soften your hearts. But what God says through Hosea is, you seek the Lord. God is there, God hasn't moved, God hasn't gone anywhere. But you put up this barrier and then you're like, man, I don't, underst- I don't understand why I, f- why I feel so far from God. Really? Where has where God gone? Mm-hmm. He's still there. You're the one who's put up the barrier. If we are to confess and repent and, and, and you know, God takes away this hardness and, you know, this barrier and allowing God to, to plow through these hard hearts. So what we do, this means that we have to examine our hearts. I know, sometimes the heart and, our hearts and minds are a scary place to be. We, we try and avoid going into our hearts. We try and avoid going into the deepness of our souls. But we have to examine and find what's there. And when we do, it's no longer time to sugarcoat what it is we do, what it is we think, our sinful attitudes. We, we don't give it cutesy names or, or anything. We, don't, we, don't treat our, we no longer treat our sins like a pet, right? Sometimes we have our pet sins. You know, I, I, have, two do- two dogs. I have two cats and one dog. I don't know how many animals I have I don't know anymore. And they're my pets, and I hold on to them. And, you know, I pet them, and I, I love them. That's my pet. And we treat our sins the same way. Yeah, but this is my pet sin. That pet sin's rabbit, and it's going to bite you and do, whole, do you a whole lot of harm is what that pet sin is going to do to you. Don't, pl- don't be cutesy with it. Don't treat it like a pet. Confess and repent. It, 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 it's no longer time to blame other people for our sinful attitudes and words. You know what? If so-and-so wasn't like this and that, then I wouldn't be doing thus and such. Who, who's the one doing the sin? Well, I am. Okay. <laughs> Guess who's to blame? Not so-and-so. It, it's, it's you. It's me. It's no longer time to make excuses for why we allow sin and the world to have their way with us. It's time to get real with some self-examination. As one preacher of old stated it, examine thoroughly the state of your hearts and see where you are, whether you are walking with God every day or with the devil, whether you are serving God or serving the devil most, whether you are under the dominion of the Prince of Darkness or of the Lord Jesus Christ. To do all this, you must set yourself to work to consider your sins. You must examine yourselves. Self-examination consists in looking at your lives and considering your actions and learning its true character. Take up your individual sins one by one and look at them. I do not mean that you should just cast a glance at your past life and see that it has been full of sins and then go to God and make a a sort of general confession and ask for pardon. That, That is not the way. You must take them up one by one. Get a pen and paper and write them down as you remember them. Go over them as carefully as a merchant goes over his books. And as often as a sin comes before your memory, add it to the list. General confession of sin will never do. 
Your sins were committed one by one, and as they come to you, review and repent of them one by one. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your sins. So you don't just go back and, and yeah, Lord, forgive me, I've, I've, I've sinned a lot in my life, and then just leave it at that. All of us have sinned a lot in our lives. The barrier comes and the hardness of heart comes is that there are individual sins that you will not confess and repent. And so do a self-examination. So, okay, in, in a self-examination, what do we look for? I mean, I can only name a few. And, you know, I compiled a small list and adapted it from other people. But, you know, other lists, that, so what, what do we need to look for? When I, get, when I spend time with God going through my heart, if I'm going to allow him to plow, what do I need to confess and repent of? Well, confess and repent in gratitude. Confess all the times you can remember that you have received graces from God or, or favors from others, and you never express gratitude, you never express thankfulness. I mean, we, we do live in... Uh, in a society that sees itself as privileged, well, of course I deserve these things. I'm such a nice person. It's all from God. Have you thanked God for what he has given you? Confess and repent a lack of love to God. I mean, think about how it would hurt you if your own family said, ah, I don't love you. And just think about how often you do not show love toward God. I mean, we are called to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yeah, we don't do that. Confess and repent of your neglect of Scripture. I mean, and, and, and not just that you don't read it. I mean, that might be part of it. You don't read it. But also when you do read it, it's more so so you can check off your box. Ha, I read the Word of God today. Now I can go and do whatever I want. Live however I want. And you don't learn a thing from it. Confess and repent your unbelief. That you don't, you don't take God at his word. I mean, think about this. When you don't trust God and his word, really you're claiming that God is a liar because he, you're saying God will not fulfill his promises. God will not fulfill his word. And so confess and repent your unbelief. Confess and repent your neglect of prayer. I mean, think, think about this. How grieved would, your, would you be? You and your family say you all live in the same house and all your family just completely ignores you for months on end. Doesn't talk to you, doesn't do nothing. They just walk right by you, don't even acknowledge your existence. That would hurt. We do it to God all the time. Confess and repent of your neglect of the fellowship of the church. We're told not to forsake the assembly. And we try and excuse, come up with every excuse that there is not to. Confess and repent of your lack of love for the souls of mankind. I mean, when was the last time that you prayed that a soul be saved? When was the last time you shared with someone the gospel truth? I saw a friend of mine posted what their pastor had said, and it's just like, ooh, yeah, okay, let's take the stake out of the heart here. Here's the question that he posed. If God came to you today and told you he would grant every prayer that you prayed this week, how many people would be saved? Yeah, that's what I said too. I'm like, uh-oh, right? You better believe I'm, I'm, I'm praying 
I'm praying people to heaven now because I, I, you, you never, God will answer that prayer, right? Confess and repent, not guarding your heart. How you've left your heart unguarded in, to all manner of sin and just said, here, oh, here I am. Come on, come on in. You unguard your heart by what you listen to. You unguard your heart by what you watch. You, you unguard your heart by what you allow the world to come into you. Confess and repent your neglect of self-denial because we are told to take up our cross and deny ourselves. Yet how many of us live for our own pleasure and the luxuries of life rather than being willing to suffer for the sake of the Lord? Confess and repent of your worldly mindedness. Let's, uh, let's be honest. Do we love the world and the things of the world more than we love God and the things of God? Do we spend more time with the world so that it's the world that is forming us and not the word of God? Confess and repent of pride. We may not say it out loud, but let's face it, we think very highly of ourselves and we think more often about ourselves than anybody else. And we definitely think more often about ourselves than we think about the Lord. That's pride. How often are we more concerned about what we look like to other people rather than what we look like to God? Confess and repent of envy. How often do we concern ourselves with what others have and what we don't have? Well, they have that, and I don't have that, and I'm going to obsess over I don't have that, whatever that is. Rather than, to go to an earlier thing I mentioned, thankfulness, gratefulness for what God has given you. Confess and repent of bitterness. How often would we rather hold a grudge than forgive people in our hearts? Confess and repent of slander and gossip. How many times have you spoken behind people's backs, whether they are real or supposed false, of, of people, whether it be church members, people at work, people at school, things like that. Confess and repent of lying. How many to times have we exaggerated? How many times have we just, oh, it's just a white lie. Well, uh, there is no such thing. There's lying and then there's truth. I mean, there's no in between. I caught a fish this big. Yeah, right. How many times have we just spoken untruths or twisted truths? How many times have we twisted the truth to our own advantage? Confess and repent. Confess and repent of hypocrisy. How often do we pretend to be one way, but then when we're alone or when we're with a certain group of acquaintances, we act a totally different way? How often do we put on an act of Christianity, but then we go out and we live like the world? How often do we come to church and we look like the perfect saint and we polish off our halo and then the second that we leave the doors of the church, we throw the halo off and let the horns come up and party time. We live for the world and we're hip hypocritical. How often have we robbed God? Think of instances in which you have misspent your time, your talents and your treasures, using them on yourself rather than using what, rather than using what God has given you for his kingdom purposes. And y'all are already going, look, shorten this list, stop stepping on my toes. Okay, I'll stop there, but guess what? I haven't even scratched the surface yet. Church, we are a people of hard hearts, and it is time to seek God and plow our hard hearts so that God's word can come in and have its way with us. You wonder why there's so little power in the church. 
You blame it on weak church programs. You blame it on leadership. You blame it on uninspiring sermons. You blame it on this. You blame it on that. You blame it on the other things, all these other things, not even considering that maybe it's you that's holding the church back. How dare you? Oh, yeah, well, how dare you? And how dare me? It's my hard heart that is holding the church back. It's your hard heart that is holding the church back. As one preacher of old put it, preaching will do no good to you while your hearts are hardened. The farmer might just as well sow, sow his grain on the rock. It will bring forth no fruit. This is the reason why there are so many fruitless people in the church and so little of the power of godliness. If you go on in this way, the word of God will actually continue to harden you and you will grow worse and worse just as rain and snow on an old fallow field makes the turf thicker and the clods stronger. See why so much preaching is wasted and worse than wasted. It is because the church will not break up their fallow ground. A preacher may wear out his life and do very little good while there are so many stony grounded hearers who have never had their fallow ground broken up. They are only half converted and their religion is rather a change of opinion than a change of the feeling of their hearts. If you want to see the power of God at work in the world and in the church, Christian, come to the altar and begin the work of seeking God, confessing and repenting and allow him to plow. Allow him to start his plowing work in that hard heart of yours and mine. Yeah, I don't know if I want to come up to the altar today. I mean, what will people think? And we don't want to go too long. We got that picnic today. Okay, what's more important? Getting right with God or the picnic? No offense to the hospitality committee who has done a lot of work for that picnic. You can do both. You can deal with God and then go to the picnic. And who cares what other people think? But everyone's, everyone's always afraid to be the first one. Well, I'll go down if someone else goes down. Look, just stop. If God is calling you to have some interaction time together, just do it. Who cares? Who cares? But maybe there are some here who haven't believed in Jesus Christ. You're thinking that the whole going to heaven thing is about, well, I'm here in church and I endured a sermon and all that. No. The entire testimony of Scripture is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He died for you. He rose again. He is the only way, truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through him. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be up here, and if you need to believe, you come and believe. Still others, maybe you've waited too long to connect yourself with with the church. Join this church family. It is a wonderful church family. And through us, serve God. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.